church. Go ahead and take a seat. I already feel like we've had church, don't you? Amen. Great is your faithfulness. Worship team, thank you so much. That is my favorite song. Uh, we hope that you have had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Has it been good? It has been good. Um, and uh, we are glad and thankful that you have decided to join us this morning. Whether you are here uh, together with us or whether you are tuning in online, we want to say welcome to you. And we are thankful that you've decided to come this morning. If you're a first-time guest or visitor and can fill out a communication card, that would be wonderful. The best way to do that is by uh, going on our Church Center app if you're here live. Or if you're online, you can just click the link to our app and fill it out that way is, is the best way we know how to get you information that you need uh, about what's happening in and around our ministry as a church. But um, thanks for being here, church. This is a good morning. God is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. My name is Tyler. I'm a youth and families pastor here, and I've got a couple uh, just quick fun announcements for us. And the first is uh, a reminder that today our angel tree went up downstairs when you checked in or registered. Uh, there's a tree down there with angels on it. There's about 20 of them this year, and they will not last very long. So I am encouraging you to stop by that tree on your way out and grab one of those. That is a wonderful opportunity for you and your family to get together, to go to the store, to get something for a child that's in need um, uh, this Christmas and could be a huge blessing to not only our church, but to families who are involved uh, in that program. And so that's one way. Also, be, be looking out for other Christmas outreaches and other opportunities. You can go to the, the uh, Church Center app and you can see the opportunities to serve and to do outreach this Christmas season for you and your family um, there on the Church Center app. Uh, and we encourage you to do that. And then the last thing is, two weeks from yesterday is December 12th. And at 2 o'clock on December 12th, we are going to have our Christmas family fun hunt. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Uh, we invite you, individuals, couples, uh, group, like we want, we want families, we want you to be here at 2 o'clock in the parking lot to receive your first clue and it is going to be a good time, I promise. And so you don't want to miss that 2 o'clock, December 12th, our Christmas family fun hunt. You, you only have to say it once. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Matt. And just a second before I do that, I want to say thank you again for your continued giving and your faithfulness with your tithes and your offering. Church, um, what a way to worship the Lord in our giving, and you are coming through week in and week out. If you are prepared to give this morning and want to do that, you can do that in the box connected to the door uh, on your way out. Pastor Matt. Thank you. This was the one job I had, was to make sure I said you'll love it. I did it twice, so exuberantly, and then I was mocked. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Ugh. Good morning. It is so good to see you guys. Just in case you were wondering, yes, you are now free to move about your Christmas celebrations. So go ahead and do that. I won't judge you any longer for listening to Christmas music or decorating your homes. And whether you are here with us this morning or watching online, we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. It is our prayer that wherever you're coming from and wherever you're joining us from today, that you'd be encouraged in the Lord, that you would dwell in his faithfulness, uh, that we would be reminded again of, of the hope, the confidence that we have in his promises. 
that whatever he said will come to pass. Whatever he has decreed, he will fulfill. His purposes will stand. Nations will fall. The, the ideas of the hearts of men will rise and fall. But the word of the Lord will be true and will endure forever. His purposes will be brought forth in this, na- in this nation, in this world, and in the kingdom to come. And so with that, we are here together worshiping in hope today. And so this morning, as promised... Some of you really do think I'm a Scrooge, and you wondered today if I was actually going to allow us to be Christmassy. Look around. Yes, we are Christmassy. Special thanks to Mandy and Steve Ballou, who worked hard this week to get our stage looking so nice uh, for our Christmas celebration. It is the first Sunday of Advent, and... When we celebrate Advent, so, so some of you may not know this, uh, maybe you've, uh, you're a little bit unfamiliar to the Advent celebrations. I know I was as a child. So our church for the last few years has taken the month of December, the traditional Advent season, and prepared ourselves. That, the, the whole season of Advent really is a time of preparation. It, it's a time of preparing our hearts for the arrival of Jesus and the celebration of that arrival on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. The word Adventus in Latin really just means arrival. That's, that's what the, the word means. So the whole season is kind of pointing towards the coming of Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. And so on our, on our Advent celebrations, we typically focus on the traditional themes of Advent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And so we're going to do that again uh, this year. The first Sunday, uh, this today, is going to be focused on hope. And, and like we do each year, we light our Advent candles, and they help us. Because they give us a visual, they give us a a sensual kind of way to to grab hold of the meaning of the season. So the first candle that we light, when the candle lighter works, there it is. I almost had to borrow your lighter, Pastor Duke. Um, The first first candle, that was a funny joke, come on now. The The first candle that we light, we call the prophet's candle. And the reason we call it the prophet's candle is because it reminds us that the birth of Jesus was foretold. We just talked about that as Jeff was leading us in that singing of the song of promises, right? That that God in his infinite plan set forth before the foundations of the world this scheme to redeem mankind. And in his wisdom and in his mercy, and I don't know how all that works together, but it pleased God to reconcile men to himself through the death of his only son. And so before the foundations of the world, that plan was put into place. And I say all the time, there was no, it wasn't a plan B. It wasn't, there wasn't this cosmic oops, like, oh no, the world has fallen into sin. What will I do now kind of moment? God already knew all that. It was his plan from the beginning to save mankind through the death of his only son. So before the foundations of the world, that was laid out, that plan. And then God, in his mercy and grace, told us about the plan. He didn't leave mankind alone when they were broken in their sin, but he sent prophets to announce his plan, to announce his purpose, to announce his promises that he intended to fulfill. And so when we, when we study the Advent, the, the season of hope, and we light that prophet's candle, that's supposed to remind us that God told us in advance what his plan for us was. And then he was faithful to fulfill that promise. Isaiah chapter 11. Here's what the, what the prophet says there in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. 
And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And his delight, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Long before Jesus arrives that first Christmas, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about this shoot, this, this little sprig that would grow from the stump of Jesse, that had been mowed down, in judgment. And after the arrogance of human evil was brought low, the judgment of God, this little shoot would begin to grow. And God's spirit would rest upon it. And this shoot from the stump of Jesse would rule and reign and judge with righteousness and equity. And the wicked would be broken by the power of his word that issued from his mouth. And by righteousness and faithfulness, his reign and his rule would be marked. So different from the human leaders of our day. And the effect of this righteous king would be an era of unprecedented peace. St. Thomas Aquinas, I came across this poem a couple years ago in one of my Advent devotionals, and I've always loved using it this time of year. He writes this, Light of lights, all gloom dispelling, thou didst come to make thy dwelling here within our world of sight. Lord, in pity and in power, thou didst in our darkest hour Rend the clouds and show thy light. So praise to thee in earth and heaven, now and evermore be given, Christ, who art our sun and shield. Lord, for us thy life thou gavest, those who trust in thee thou savest, and all thy mercy stands revealed. Let's open with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this season, that we can prepare our hearts to celebrate your arrival We thank you for all that that tells us about your faithfulness and your trustworthiness. Lord, as we focus today our hearts on this theme of hope, I pray, God, that you would give me clarity of mind and thought, that you would open the eyes and minds and hearts of our congregation, that we would hear and receive the truth of your word. And Lord, I pray for those in the congregation and who are watching online who today need to be reminded of the hope we have in you. I pray for those who are battling illnesses, Many in our congregation, God, have family members and friends uh, stricken with the COVID virus, and some of them it looks very grim. I pray that you'd give them hope today, confidence in your promises. Pray for those who are battling through marital disputes and struggles and the emotional exhaustion that that brings, the fear and the anxiety, and I pray, God, that they would have confidence in your promises today. Pray for parents today who wonder if they're making a difference in the lives of their children and feel exasperated, God, I pray that you'd give them hope in your promises today. I pray for those who struggle this time of year with depression and anxiety and mental illness, and I pray, God, that today they would be reminded of your promises to them, that you have plans for them, plans for hope in a future. And God, I pray for a congregation that's positioned in the middle of a political mess, in the middle of a health crisis, 
And it's so easy to lean into despair. I pray that today, God, you would remind us of your promises. And God, I pray that you'd give us hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we should probably get going here. I only have two hours left. As we begin today, it would be wise to consider some preliminary definitions. Especially because the word that we're talking about today, this theme of hope, the definition seems to have changed a little bit over time. And I know I've mentioned this before, but it's a good reminder. So today, we use the word hope to mean something different, I believe, than the biblical writers were referring to when they used the word hope. When we talk about hope, we use it to describe something that we want to happen, but something that we perceive has little or no chance of actually happening. Right? We, we say, I hope I get such and such for Christmas, knowing that there is very little likelihood that that's going to happen. My, my son likes to ask me what my favorite vehicle is, and do I hope I get that? And I say, well, yeah, that'd be great, but it's probably not going to happen, unless some of you are you know, independently wealthy and want to be generous. I mean, I guess that's the case. If that's the case, and send me an email, I'll let you know what I like, but I don't think that's going to happen. I, we might say, I, I hope my, my bum football team figures this thing out and wins the worst division in the history of the NFL. I don't know, some of us might be in that boat, right, Dave? So we, we hope, but that's unlikely to happen. You know, we hope that once there's a clear political uh, winner, that the political division in our nation goes away. That is unlikely to happen. We, we use the word hope to describe something we want to happen, but the likelihood seems unreasonable. That is not the way the biblical writers use the word hope. For the biblical writers, hope means more like, it's, it's weightier, it's meatier, it has more of a bite to it than that. The way that we use hope is so flimsy. We use hope like, I wish, I wish that would happen. I wish I could fly. I wish I could go to the moon. I wish I could play in the NFL. No, none of those things are going to happen. I'm too short. I'm not that smart. I don't have those opportunities. None of those things are going to happen. When the biblical writers use the word hope, they're talking about confidence. They're talking about a resolved sense of faith. There's, there's a surety to their hope. Something more than just wishful thinking. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 this morning. After all that time in Mark, I had to go back to Paul at some point. You knew it was coming. Romans chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope this morning is our theme. Here's, here's how, how we can, can look at this passage and break it into a few points. The first, I, I, I summarize my thoughts around this heading that we can rejoice in hope. That God's power allows us and enables us to rejoice in hope because we have been 
justified by our faith. Now this, this isn't the point of the passage today, but it's sure, certainly not just a simple pref, uh, preface that we can flip over. I mean, the justification of a sinner through faith was the hallmark of the Protestant Reformation. So we can't just like scrape over that one to get to the real stuff. That's an important piece of this conversation. Therefore, because we have been justified by faith, what does that mean? Because you and I, if we have trusted in Jesus, we are declared righteous by faith. That what that means is, you have been forgiven of your sin, and you are in a good relationship with God. Not because you earned it, and not because you deserved it, but you are in that position because you have placed faith in the one who can provide it. So what that means, quite simply, if you would allow me the illustration, is that a prosecuting attorney, our enemy, laid before the king, the righteous judge, God the Father, all the dirty deeds in our lives, all of the thoughts, the actions, the words spoken, everything that was opposed to the will and the nature and the purposes of God. He mounted the evidence for the the judge, and there was ample evidence to convict every one of us. And the books were open. The court sat in judgment. The, The evidence was reviewed, and the verdict was pronounced. Guilty as charged. But our advocate, our defense attorney, the Lord Jesus Christ, stood up and said, Hey, Dad, I know, I know this guy deserves every bit of it, but if you'll let me, I'll, I'll pay the penalty for it. Not because we earned it, not because there wasn't sufficient evidence to convict us, but because the righteous defense attorney, our advocate, stepped in between us and the judge and said, I'll take the penalty. Our faith in him means that we are now declared righteous. The verdict comes in, Guilty as charged, he says, no, let me take it. He says, fine, I'll put the penalty on you, and he can go free. That's justification by faith. We are not declared righteous because we are such good people who bend our bodies and our wills to complete the, the, uh, to fulfill the law of God in perfection. There's no hope of that. We don't have the ability to do that. And we're born in sin. We need to be cleared and forgiven and justified by something outside of the law. And God in his mercy and grace, check out Romans chapter 3, provides for us a righteousness that doesn't come through the law but comes apart from the law through faith. We are justified by faith. And because we are now good with God. You see, if you have never trusted Jesus, you are not in that position. If you've never trusted Jesus, the only thing standing between you and the Father is the mounting pile of evidence to convict you. If your faith is not in Christ, then you still have that mount of debt to deal with. But because we've trusted Jesus, that's been washed away. And we now have peace with the Father. We're in a good relationship with him. There's no longer a barrier between us and God because Jesus made a way for us to be welcomed into his family. And because of that, we have peace. Now we have access into God's grace. We've experienced him. We've seen him in our lives. The veil that guarded the holiest place was torn in two at the death of Jesus. And now God has access to us and we have access to him. Sin no longer 
creates that barrier. We've tasted, we've seen the grace of God in our lives. And so, because of that, because we are in a good relationship with God, we have peace with him and we have access to him, we can now rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in a confidence. Remember, hope and confidence are kind of the same. Not a wish, confidence. We can rejoice with confidence in God's glory. We can be sure, and by that we mean totally sure, that our lives are moving towards God's glory. Paul actually talks about this in Romans chapter 8. That, that the glorification of this, the, the child of God is God's purpose for us. That he moves through a cycle and a rhythm of growing us and, and, and developing us and building us and glorifying himself in us. That is his plan. God's glory is his ultimate plan for our lives. That he's going to glorify himself in us. And here, here's what Paul says. Remember at the end of Romans chapter 8, he says... Um, that we're more than conquerors. We know that for, for those who love God, all things work together for them who love him and are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified, declared righteous. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. We can, re, we can rest in the confidence that my life today in the sovereign hand of God leads me to his purpose for me, which is to glorify himself in me. We can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That wherever you find yourself today, whether you're on a mountaintop or in a valley and barely hanging on, and trust me, I have been at every stage along the way, Today I'm kind of middle of the road, if I'm going to be real honest. Not too high, not too low, I'm holding on to Jesus. We can rejoice today in hope that whatever today brings will be used together to grow us and ultimately for God to glorify himself in our lives. So we have the freedom to be full of joy today because our confidence isn't in our circumstances or whether or not we can figure out how to change our circumstances. Our confidence is bigger in something bigger than circumstance. It's in something bigger than the stock market. It's in, it's in something bigger than the outcome of a, a dis disputed election. Our confidence is in something bigger than anything in this world. And so that allows us to rejoice with confidence, even though no one else around us seems to show any kind of stability at all. We have confidence. We have hope. We don't have to be crazy. We can rejoice in that. Secondly today, Paul reminds us that our suffering actually moves us to hope. And you may say here, Matt, hold on a second. I think you've got this backwards. Suffering doesn't move us to hope. Suffering leads us to despair. And this sounds a little counterintuitive. That suffering and trials would actually move us to confidence and move us to hope. It would seem to me, at least, my experience, that when suffering and difficulty hit me, they push me farther and farther along the line towards desperation and hopelessness, right? 
as we become increasingly uncomfortable in our situation, as our circumstances become less and less desirable, as the stability and the certainty around us begins to crumble, the natural progression for the human heart is not towards confidence. The natural progression is, is like chicken little. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. I'm going to run around like crazy. I'm going to try to fix it myself. I'm going to lean into desperation and hopelessness. And for those apart from Christ, that is where they go. That, I don't know, maybe you, if you don't have any friends who don't share your faith, you need more friends. But the people around you, guys, when their lives start falling and, and spinning out of control, look at them closely. They're not standing in confidence. They're afraid. They're anxious. They're unsettled. They are leaning into hopelessness. But not the child of God. Not those of us who have been declared righteous and have peace with God, who have access to his grace. No, we can rejoice in hope because we know that our suffering, our discomfort, what we perceive as a removal of freedoms, political upheaval, racial tension, division in the church, family drama, and we're just coming through Thanksgiving. I know some of you. How many of you had to have political conversations over Thanksgiving? I know you. I know. Yes, all that family drama. That, like your mom threatened to unfriend you in real life, not on Facebook, right? We, all of that mess, when it gets all crazy, we can rejoice in hope. We can be certain that it'll move us to confidence. Because suffering in the life of a believer is not chaotic, but controlled. We've talked about this over and over again, but you need to hear it again. Suffering in your life is not chaotic, but it is controlled. And it's controlled and purposeful. So those of us who have been walking with the Lord for any measure of time will know this to be true. That God uses all the events of our lives, even the most uncomfortable ones, to bring about his purposes. To grow us, to sanctify us. That word sanctify means to to make us more like Jesus. To in justify, and when we are justified by God, we are declared righteous and innocent. In sanctification, God supernaturally, by a work of his miraculous grace, makes us more like Jesus in character and nature. So we are, he, he uses suffering to actually grow us and to make us more like Jesus. Not to make us hopeless and desperate, but to make us more like Christ. And he shows his glory in us as he empowers us to handle otherwise uncomfortable and undesirable situations that in our own, on our own, would be too much for us to handle. So he strengthens us to continue with joy even when it doesn't seem like joy is the appropriate response. We learn that he's trustworthy. We we learn as we experience him in our trials that he won't leave us, that he won't forsake us, that he's going to walk with us. We learn that we can yield ourselves to his complete control over all the areas of our lives, even when we're uncomfortable. And we learn that all of that produces in us a change of heart and a change of character. It makes us patient. It makes us humble. It grows us in gratitude and thanksgiving. It grows us in maturity in the Lord in ways we can't even understand. God's primary means of growth actually is suffering in the life of a believer. 
He grows us through the uncomfortable seasons. And he glorifies himself in it. And so Paul, Paul lays it out this way, that suffering builds endurance. You know, the, you know what the translation of the word for endurance is? The ability to, to withstand prolonged hardship. The more suffering you go through, the more you can handle. It's like weight training. You're building up your, your resistance and strength to be able to handle more. Remember King David? Remember when he's a little shepherd boy and he faces the giant? He says, look, I've seen God's faithfulness with the lion and the bear. I can take this giant too. So wherever you are today, you're, you're dealing with difficulty and struggle and you're asking, God, are you here? Are you in this? Will you get me through this? I, j- I joked with a couple of you today. Am I going to survive parenting teenagers? Because one of us is going to die. I don't know which one yet. It might be a whole bunch of us. Who knows? Am I going to survive all that? Yes, by God's grace we will. And then 10 years down the road, something else bigger will come up. And I'll say, am I going to survive this? And I'll be reminded, yeah, God saw me through that. And he saw me through this season, saw me through that season. Our confidence grows. We grow in endurance. And our endurance produces character in us. We're more patient with, with discomfort. Some of you have walked through some really challenging times. And the little things don't upset you anymore. Because you've seen God's faithfulness in some big things. And the big things change in their perspective. They don't seem so big anymore. But God seems huge in the middle of all of it. And our character produces hope. Confidence. Not wishful thinking, but confidence. Because godly people who have walked with Jesus through trial know that there's a purpose to the trial. And they're not just looking quickly for it to end, but they're looking for themselves to be used by God and for his glory to be seen in them. And thirdly today, our hope in the Lord will not put us to shame. Some of your versions might say, the hope doesn't disappoint. Our hope in the Lord won't leave us ashamed. Our hope in the Lord won't leave us with regrets. There won't be a moment in, in when you're reviewing your life where your confidence in the Lord, where you'll look back and say, that was a wasted season. There, there will never be a time in the closing moments of your life when you look back and saw where you stood with God and you walked with him faithfully and you held the line and you, you endured with faithfulness. You won't ever look back at that season and go, man, I wish I would have done that different. And it seems clear to me the context here. The context is the, a result of, of trial, right? The context here that he's talking about is our confidence in God through trials. Our hope in the Lord, our confidence in him through trials won't leave us ashamed. And it won't disappoint us. Now it might disappoint us on the worldly level for sure. It, your confidence in the Lord, it might not deliver to you your best plan for how the situation should unfold. That's something that people who've been walking with Jesus need to get, get comfortable with, right? You see, we, we, don't, we don't sit down with God and say, all right, here's how I want this to work out, and I'm going to have confidence that you make it all happen that way. That's not what he's talking about. And if that's your goal, then it probably will disappoint you, because that's not what God signed up for. He didn't agree to that. That's a job description that he never took on himself. But what it does say is, hope won't put you to shame. 
Your hope in God through trials won't lead you to disappointment or shame. Because the purpose will still stand. And the purpose is not your immediate comfort, but God's ultimate glory in your life. And what that tells me is there will never be a moment in the, in the dawning of eternity where you look back over your life on this earth and say, I wish I had not followed Jesus more. How ridiculous. I wish I had had less faith. I wish I had exercised less confidence in God. It won't disappoint you. You won't be left without hope. In that day, you'll be thankful for every moment of trial and tribulation and every gift of glory that God gave you as a result of it. That's what he's telling us here. And based on what we know of God, that his love has been shed abroad or poured out into our hearts. It has been lavished upon us. Based on what we know of God, that we are surrounded, immersed, we've been baptized into his love. We know that he's trustworthy because he's been faithful in the past every single time. Maybe not faithful to our promises, and maybe not faithful to all of our desires, but he's been faithful to his purpose and his promise every single time. Okay, so what? Where does all that leave us today? First, our confidence in the Lord is not without a good foundation. Our confidence in the Lord is not wishful thinking. Our confidence in the Lord is built on a strong and firm foundation of his enduring faithfulness. The big point here for Paul and the big point for us is God can be trusted. He can be trusted. We can have confidence in his plan because he's been faithful up to this point. And secondly, our hope will not put us to shame. Our hope won't disappoint us. Sometimes I think we look at the decisions in our lives and we see that we can walk in faithfulness or we can walk according to the wisdom of this world and we feel like if we choose faithfulness, we'll be missing out. Maybe I felt it more as a kid than I do today because thankfully God's been patient with me. But it was almost like there's a fork in the road and we say, okay, I can go God's way. I can repent of sin. I can set up good boundaries in my life. I can be honest and transparent about my struggles. I can walk in faithfulness. I can turn away from the desires or I can go the way of the world. And it's almost like we're afraid that if we choose faithfulness that God will lead us to be like Amish and we'll miss out on all the glories of this world. The glories of this world. How foolish is that? What does this world have to offer us? It's not our home. The kingdom we're part of doesn't even work according to the rules of this kingdom. There's nothing out there for us. And so we, we, we get this idea that if I choose faithfulness, I'll somehow miss out. No, no, you're not hearing me. You won't be disappointed. There will be no regrets for choosing faithfulness to Jesus. You will never, ever look back and regret faithfulness to God because he won't disappoint you. He might frustrate your plans, but maybe your plans needed to be frustrated. I had a very good plan for my life, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and it lasted about six months before God turned it upside down. And I'm thankful for it because the life I live today is far more fulfilling to me as a child of God than anything else I could imagine. 
He might frustrate your plans, but he won't disappoint you. We'll never say, I wish I, had have, I, wish I would have ignored God a little bit more. No. We'll say, I wish I would have walked with him in more faithfulness. So choose today, faithfulness. Walk in hope, walk in confidence. And as we come to this Advent season, how does it all play together with our Advent theme? Well, we begin today by focusing in this crucial theme of hope. You see, during this month, we look back and we see so clearly how God's promises through the prophets were kept in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That shoot of the stump of Jesse, that new king, that descendant of David, we, we see how when Israel was mowed down through, through the uh, attack of Assyria that was raised up by God to bring judgment for their faithlessness, we see that God still wasn't done with the, the stump of Jesse, with the root of Jesse, that his purposes would still prevail. And he did. He caused his son to grow up, to reign as a king over a new kingdom. We can look back on the advent of Jesus and see that God was faithful to keep his promises as Jesus came as promised, died, was buried, and rose again. And then he said he's coming back. So in our advent celebrations, we rest with confidence that God can be trusted because we've seen the evidence that he can be trusted. And we look forward with hope because we know he can be trusted. So we look forward with hope that he's coming again. We're stuck here between the two advents of Jesus. And our hope is that he might come soon. That his arrival would be near. Maybe today. When sin and suffering, when brokenness and pain, when death and disease will finally be swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ. That's, that's how it applies to our Advent season. We have hope this Advent season that Jesus will come again as we look back with confidence in his fulfillment in his first arrival. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and the word that we have to, to study and understand your power, your purposes. God, we, we rejoice that you've not left us alone, that you've spoken to us. Lord, we thank you for the way that you use our trials to bring us to confidence in you. Lord, it, it doesn't seem like it's the most um, reasonable way to do it, but God, it's so effective. Lord, our congregation is full of people who are hurting today. Our families are hurting. We are enduring great trials. And so God, I pray that in the trials, we would see your faithfulness, that we would, we would see endurance strengthened and built that character would be developed and that our confidence in you would not be shaken. Lord, I pray that as, as you look at the congregation at Newtown Road, you would say that we are a hopeful people, that we are confident in your promises, that we live reckless lives according to the standards of this world, but recklessly obedient to you because of our confidence in you. Help us, God, to do things that are out of sorts and that aren't ordinary and that go against the conventional wisdom of this world because, God, we don't walk in the wisdom of this world. Help, help us, God, to act out of the character that you've built in our lives and to live in hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at this point, we have to say goodbye to our live streamers, so thank you for joining us from your living rooms or wherever you are today. 
As always, we're here at 9 and 11 every Sunday morning. We'd love to have you uh, join us here on campus or continue to listen in online. Those of you in the room, go ahead and stand up. We will close our service with a couple worship songs.